This podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And in this episode we're going to continue our coverage of Abattoir. We did the physical side of the festival last time. In this episode we're going to take a look at some of the movies that play the virtual side. So, after last episode's run through the physical festival highlights and lowlights, we're back with another episode on Abattoir 2021, but this time we're going to take a look at the online side of things with the virtual festival. So, if you listen to the previous episode, I explained a little bit about Abattoir's background. It's been running for 16 years now at the Aberystwyth Art Centre in West Wales. Because of the pandemic last year, the um, festival organisers had to um, produce the festival online, which was, you know, both challenging and very exciting at the same time. We were so lucky to be able to have a festival in that format. And because it did so well and it's basically opened the festival up to so many people that have never been to the physical version before, they decided to incorporate the virtual festival alongside the physical festival this year. So we got the best of both worlds. So the uh, virtual festival ran between the 12th and 14th of November. So it was just a nice three-day festival online. And I think there was quite a strong selection of films. Um, some maybe not so much, but we're going to get into that shortly. Yeah. And now before we get into the virtual side of things, I must apologise for missing out a mention last time when we were talking about the physical side of things specifically perry blackshear's when i consume you i was going on about how great the movie was and going on about how great mcleod andrew's performance was without even mentioning that the guy who provides the music for most of the podcast stuff mitch bain he scored when i consume you and the score is really really good and i completely forgot to name check him at all so huge apologies to Mitch because it is a great soundtrack and I completely missed it out because I was just going over the top about McLeod's performance. So once again, Mitch, sorry about that. Your score is absolutely brilliant. I completely agree with you there. So yeah, go and watch When I Consume You when you can because again, as we spoke about that in the last episode, absolutely brilliant film. So after my grovelling apology, let's get on with the virtual side of the festival. The first film that we're going to take a look at is a documentary about folk horror, which has the hefty running time of about three and a quarter hours. It's Kayla Janice's Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. So um, like I did last time, I am going to go to the trusty abattoir brochure for the synopsis of all the films. So Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched explores the folk horror phenomenon from its beginnings in a trilogy of films through its proliferation on British television in the 1970s and its culturally specific manifestations around the world to the genre's revival over the last decade. Woodlands Dark investigates the many ways that we alternatively celebrate, conceal and manipulate our own histories in an attempt to find spiritual resonance in our surroundings. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good description, really. Three and a quarter hours, quite a long documentary. I think in some ways it does feel its length, but it has a lot of stuff to get through. And if you're looking for a primer as to a list of folk horror movies that you should be checking out, this gives you an awful lot of scope to go at. So I think it's a, it's a very well put together documentary. I think it 
it covers all the bases that it should. It certainly goes to things like uh, Witchfinder General, Blood on Satan's Claw, The Wicker Man as the touchstones for the British folk horror movement. And it moves into things like Children of the Stones for TV, which I vaguely remember as a very, very young kid. And it scaring the shit out of me, basically. It tries its best to cover as many bases as it can because it doesn't need to go into just British folk horror and you get European and American folk horror, which is quite interesting. Would this have worked better as maybe a sort of three or four part series? Perhaps so, but as a documentary, it's pretty good. I mean, it gets a lot of detail across. I think I preferred the second half of it. I mean, the first half seems to be leaning heavily into a more academic study of folk horror where as the second half, when you go into American and European folk horror, it seems to be more people who are fans of it telling you why the movies are great. So, you know, it's 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 me just griping about nothing, really, because if you'd have come in to me and said, oh, three and a quarter hour documentary on folk horror, I'd have thought, three and a quarter hours? You know, that's going to be a bit of a uh, ordeal to sit through. It isn't. It isn't. It actually does pass the time pretty quickly. Yeah, it's an incredibly comprehensive guide on the subgenre, and um, I like how it's structured, how we, you know, begin with the kind of juggernauts of British folk horror, which find a general Wicker Man and Blood on Satan's Claw, and then that how that sort of leads into, as you say, the European and American folk horror as well. So I think, you know, the, the length of it, it does go into a lot of depth, but I think watching it in a festival setting was quite tiring but that's not to detract anything away from the documentary it's a very strong piece i think that maybe if it was split into a series and it was something that you could take your time with more rather than have to consume it all in one go i think there would be kind of more time for like to breathe with it a bit so i think when this does get a release i'm going to definitely go back to it and you know try and watch it in my own installments i think that'll be a better way of um, taking it all in. But yeah, you know, very interesting, has lots of different people discussing the subgenre. Again, um, yeah, there is that leaning into academia, which I think for your more casual moviegoer like myself, it's not the kind of most interesting part for me, but there's a lot to learn from this documentary and it's, you know, a guide to kind of find movies that you may not have seen before or heard of. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very clever and interesting in how it's structured. So I enjoyed it, but I think I want to give this a second chance when my brain isn't frazzled with other films as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I think if you've got it on disc, you can stop and start it and you can do it in more manageable chunks. You're right, 195 minutes it is a bit of an undertaking in one go. And definitely as part of a festival setting when you've got all these other movies as well. Yes, you had 24 hours to watch it from the start, but even then, if you're trying to fit all a load of other movies in it, then you're still against the clock in terms of the schedule. But I think it's ambitious and it sets out to give you as much information about the folk horror genre as it can, and it succeeds on that level. I think um, you're risking missing out some of the major titles if you're only going to sort of look at it over maybe an hour 90 minutes so there's pros and cons yes it's very long but if you shortened it how much would you miss so as a documentary i think it works but i think you're right though i think it, it will work better on disc when you can stop and start it and take more in in more manageable bits something a lot shorter for the next movie is uh, keeping company now i'd seen this much earlier in the year but uh, it was a welcome surprise to see this on another film festival schedule so what's keeping company about well Senny and noah are two rash door-to-door salesmen climbing the ranks within the corporate dog-eat-dog world of insurance one day after feeling the heat from their boss to get their sales numbers up they cross paths with lucas an enigmatic anti-social creature whom they see as a potential new client with no regard for Lucas's plea for privacy, they rudely force their way into his home, but soon thereafter find themselves trapped in his basement, incapable of, sca- of escaping. Then they meet Grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's fairly soft targets it's going after. It's about corporate culture 
and the need to get a sale and all that sort of thing. But it is very funny and it's got some fairly pointed horror moments in it as well. But not too much that it's going to send you screaming from the room. I think it balances the humour and the horror pretty well, this. Not to say that there isn't some nasty stuff going on, but it's not kind of in that last house on the left sort of horror. It's a lot more playful than some some of the stuff of its ilk. And the performances are really good, and the jokes land. So I think it's a pretty good movie, this. Yeah, I think this was a welcome addition in the schedule, because it was something a bit more light-hearted and a bit more accessible for people that aren't into the more like dark side of horror. But that's not saying it doesn't have a dark side. As you say, there's some very mean-spirited moments in it, but on its sleeve, it is basically a black comedy. And it is amusing. It's, um you know, has a really good like social commentary on like life insurance salesmen and things like that there was part of it that did remind me of an episode of buffy the vampire slayer called the double meat palace um (laughs) which was aired like years ago there was elements that definitely evoked that for me but yeah again as you say the performances were really good it is just a play on that cutthroat corporate world it's a satire it doesn't take itself too seriously it has fun with its concept the acting kind of goes a bit over the top. It's a bit caricaturish with the characters, but that's fine because this is just a movie that you want to enjoy. Maybe for me, this is one of your kind of popcorn movies, one that you can just enjoy, switch your brain off a bit and just, um, you know, just get into. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of those movies that you can just have a bit of a laugh with. And I think the horror is not too extreme, really. And you're right, I think people that are not, instantly horror fans it's the sort of thing that it's probably a decent entry level into horror something like this because it's got plenty of gags to take the edge off the nastier moments in it and you're right it's it's something that you can i mean i don't i don't think you can totally switch your brain off but it's something that's a fairly easy watch especially for genre fans it's something that you can just sit back and and have a few laughs at because to be perfectly honest there's quite a lot of horror that is very very dark and is can be difficult to sit through this isn't really this is more playful and humorous and it's kind of winking at you from behind the camera and you're right the the performances are a bit heightened but i mean that's where it's pitching it it's a fairly brash horror comedy and the jokes there's no subtlety in it really but it doesn't matter don't need subtlety here and it was one of the one of the less challenging movies but there's nothing wrong with it being less challenging if it's as enjoyable as this yeah very enjoyable movie and i recommend it it's gory it's fun and yeah it's one that you just want to enjoy with a group of friends yeah good point yeah it's it is an audience movie uh, the next title we're going to discuss certainly a lot darker a lot stranger is it an audience movie it's the it's a documentary but it's kind of not a documentary either it's straight to vhs oh this is a strange one this really is a strange one. Oh my gosh getting my head around this one i don't think i still have so bear with me people we will get into this <laughs> So Straight to VHS was a UK premiere as well, I will note. So Act of Violence in a Young Journalist is an obscure Uruguayan film shot and released on VHS in 1989. Becoming almost revered, it lives under a mantle of mystery and exotic theories about its creator, Manuel Lamas, of whom nothing is known. This film sets out to unveil the mystery that exists about Lamas and his work, delving into the cult of fanatics, dark myths, and lost VHS cassettes in a way that dissolves the limits of reality and fiction. So I think definitely dissolving the limits of reality and fiction is a great way of describing it. Mm. A fascinating portrait of an unfamiliar cult object and an exploration of what it means to obsess over people we know nothing of. Straight to VHS is not your average documentary. Blending truth and fiction in a truly undiscernible way, this is a captivating mystery. So for me, watching this, I have never heard of active violence in a young journalist ever before. And I think Abattoir has this knack for introducing people to the more kind of cult side of horror, like things that not everyone's necessarily seen or is aware of. And this definitely fits in into that and like under that umbrella. 
So when I was watching this, I assumed that the act of violence film was specifically created for this film. I thought it was completely fiction. But then I've just discovered that actually that is a genuinely real movie. But the documentary side of this film is rooted in fiction. And when I looked up the act of violence, just to get a little bit more kind of feel for what it was and everything, there's, there's barely any information on IMDb or anything. So again, it is this very obscure, mysterious piece. And I thought it was kind of cleverly put together, but I don't know, this film was kind of lacking something at the same time. And I, I can't put my finger on it. It's a very weird one. It's got so much mystique about it that in the end, it almost defeats itself because you are left wondering what's real, what's not real. And it further confuses matters by having a sequence close to the end where there's a clearly fictional representation of the filmmaker in a sort of mini movie about what he's doing, where he's in this cabin. So that just adds to the confusion. I was in the same boat as you. I thought that this movie, when I started watching it, the the movie about the journalist, was clearly made up for the movie. And after about 20 minutes, I thought, well, I'm just going to go on IMDb and have a look for it. And I actually found it and I thought, well, have they put it on IMDb for the purposes of the movie? Is it just something that they've created an entry for? But as I looked into it a bit more, yeah, it's a real movie. But the documentary just goes into some very strange places. So you've got people who are clearly fans of the movie who are actually talking about it because it's something they've seen before and they're really, you know, they're really excited about somebody talking about it to them. But then it heads off in all sorts of different directions as the documentary maker tries to find out a bit more about Manuel Lamas. It's a challenging piece of work. It's interestingly put together, but I'm with you at the end. I was just thinking, was I meant to get something more out of that? I did get a reasonable amount out of it, but I just felt like I knew virtually nothing more by the end of Straight to VHS. Was that the effect? It was just to create this mystique and about this character, but I was feeling a little bit shortchanged by the end of it. I thought it was going to go somewhere at the end and there was going to be some sort of conclusion. And I know that we've touched on things that don't conclude particularly neatly. I mean, last, last week we did broadcast signal intrusion and that doesn't conclude in a particularly neat way, but there's a reason for that. Here, it just felt like it stopped dead with no revelation at all. And it was just like, well, we know very little about this guy at all. And this documentary hasn't changed anything about that. We still have this weird, mystical representation of this director because he died however many years ago. So nobody seems to have a huge amount of information about him. The film is very sketchy in terms of its performers and crew and how it was made. So I was left thinking, yeah, it's an interesting subject and it's opened my eyes to something that I wouldn't have known about before. But apart from getting another movie title on my lists, did I really find out too much more about it? I don't think I did. No, I completely agree with you there. It did definitely leave me cold at the end. I think it was very convoluted and very ambitious. I think that's what, you know, as you say, shortchanged it. But I kind of like the concept of it. I like that idea that there's like, say, a film that you've seen like years ago and it's kind of, you know, faded from memory and then it just kind of comes back to you unexpectedly and then you're trying to figure out what that film was, how did I see it, where can I see it now? And I kind of love the idea of that mystique, especially around the VHS area. Um, you know, we discussed it with broadcast signal intrusion as well. It's the whole like thing of people just trying to, you know, go down that rabbit hole and search for more information. But it's like once you know the full picture, it, it just becomes obsolete because the mystery's evaporated you don't have that there anymore so I, I did quite like the general concept behind this film but it, again it just you know went off into like some strange directions and it just you know didn't really like satisfy me by the end so it was a bit disappointing but I, I kind of was intrigued by it. I can't say I liked it necessarily but I, yeah I found it very intriguing and I'm, I'm glad I saw it but I don't think I'd watch it again 
but I am intrigued to find out more about this uh, act of violence film because it it just seemed really bizarre. It seemed like some sort of weird fly on the wall guerrilla filmmaking documentary. Really, really strange. Yeah, the film itself, I really do want to check it out because it's got all sorts of stuff in it by the look of the clips that they showed. It's kind of like a, a South American telenovela crossed with a revenge movie and apparently there's a supernatural element in there. So everything gets chucked into the mix. So I'm very, very keen to see the movie. But you're right, I'm not so keen to see the documentary about it again. I think it's worth seeing because it's so ambitious. I think it falls short by the end. But it's an interesting failure. I would rather have something like this that's trying something different than something that's very, very straightforward. But in this case, some of it works, some of it doesn't. Absolutely. So next up, a film that, oh, I noticed a lot of people were raving over this film. Mm. But for me, I'm going to be blunt with you all, it was the worst film I had seen at Abattoir this year. And that film is, wait for it, (laughs) We're all going to the World's Fair. Now, this is a film that had been on my radar for a while, as I think it has done a few of the festivals this year. So, you know, it's an intriguing title, so I was generally interested in seeing it. So what this movie is about, well, if it's about anything, let's just say that. I want to go to the World's Fair. Say it three times into your computer camera. Prick your finger, draw some blood and smear it on the screen. Now press play on the video. They say that once you've seen it, the changes begin. In a small town, a shy and isolated teenage girl becomes immersed in this online role-playing game. One of the most original horror films in recent years, where all going to the World's Fair roots its dread in the mundaneness of modernity, loneliness, identity, and the opportunities and risks that the web offers. Featuring a phenomenal central performance, this is a profoundly relatable film. I don't think so. (laughs) Obviously not not relatable for you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> definitely not related to me i get what it was kind of doing like again the premise really intrigued me because i like the idea of internet culture internet mysteries urban legends all that stuff just kind of you know bring it all my way i just don't think this film handled it in a very interesting way i think it was a slog it was a very fundamentally indie movie it was just like one of those films that it's just so indie, it's just screaming that in in your face, basically. It's like one of those. And I just found it, it just really plodded along and, again, became convoluted throughout. People think the main performance was this amazing performance. I, for me, it, it wasn't. I mean, I, I just felt there was not enough character development for this girl. that I didn't really understand why I was supposed to care about her. It was just very flat and there was there's nothing going for it. I mean, it had some like unnerving imagery. I will say that. I'll give it that. But it was just too slow slow, and just, it didn't really do anything. And I think like there are some people that were, you know, really impressed by this film and, and you know, fair enough if that's their opinion. But other people were a bit confused. And yeah, I'm just, yeah, I am just confused. I'm baffled. Well, I saw it before Grimfest. I got a screener of it before it played Grimfest. I don't think I was quite as down on it as you are. However, I'm still not with the people that say it's one of the greatest horror movies of 2021 because it leaves too much to the imagination. Now, I don't mind filling the gaps in in movies, but this leaves so much to interpretation that... You know, it's going to be frustrating for a lot of people. It sets up things quite nicely and it does have quite good things to say about internet culture and isolation. And the main girl in it is obviously sort of cut off from friends and her family life isn't great. I mean, her dad doesn't seem to care too much about her. And it does that very well. But it doesn't really expand on any of those things. And the online culture and this horror game it's not defined enough it's very very fuzzy it's very vague and if you can take something out of that then great but at some point 
you kind of want this movie to come down and say what it's actually trying to do just once instead of being so esoteric that it's, it's like well you could you could see it this way you could see it that way now that's fine to a certain extent but if you've got 85 minutes of it saying you could interpret it however you want to including the ending then a lot of people are just not going to want to take that from a movie you can get by so far on atmosphere and there's a lot of atmosphere in this movie and as you say there are some very unnerving sequences in it but i mean is it really a horror movie i think i guess there are certain horror elements in this and I think it's pitched in a certain way that I guess you could say it falls into the horror genre because the horror really comes from how people behave, especially online. There's another character in it that comes in later and you're never quite sure of what this guy's motives are. Even at the end, you're not sure what these guy's motives are because he explains something that happens at the end of the movie. And all the way through this speech, you're thinking, is this guy telling the truth? I'm not sure he is. But again, it just leaves everything to interpretation. And whereas a few people will find that exciting and a, a great way to experience the film, I was just left thinking, could you have explained just one thing for me? Because I was just getting a little irked by the fact that it was all kind of, is this happening? Is this not happening? Is she really getting affected by the game? Is it just in her mind? Is it something else? Is she being influenced by other people? That's all fine. But to get to the end of the 85, 90 minutes and then just to be given a fairly flat ending in which somebody basically explains a potential ending to a video camera, there's no kind of development of the ending it doesn't build to a climax it just stops and whereas that's kind of a bold thing to do a lot of people are not going to enjoy that at all because they're going to want some payoff at the end and this does not pay off in the way that you think it's going to do it leaves you with more questions than answers and i guess that if you like that great if you don't like that this is gonna bug the hell out of you so i'm not gonna let it bug me in the slightest <laughs> because i just don't think it holds up enough you made a very valid point there how vague it is and i think that's its problem i mean it could have gone down another route if it wanted to where it could have had this whole like you know supernatural unfriended type of plot to it which i don't think genre audiences would have really appreciated because we don't want anything too predictable mm. This was just too odd and just it, it just didn't go anywhere. And I think, yes, it's very much a psychological horror. I think that's where I'd place it because from what I took from it, it was kind of all in the mind of the girl and it's how she became so consumed by the internet and because that was all she basically had in her life. So I, I kind of get it, but it, it was just too vague and too slow and didn't really go anywhere and leaves you very unsatisfied so i'm sorry but well i'm not really that sorry but we're all going to the world's fair was the worst film of the festival for me and i can boldly say that and if anyone wants to tell us why you like it or if you you know on the same page as me or whatever you know i'm always up for discussion so i'd like love to hear what other people took out of it yeah, I mean, it's it's got opinions across the board. I mean, I've seen people say that they absolutely love it. I've seen people say that it's their film of the year. I don't get that. But uh, if we all like the same things, it would be a very boring genre. But yeah, it's got interesting things to say about alienation. It's got interesting things to say about online culture. But it doesn't stress them enough. I just thought it got mired in its own sense of mystery. And the problem with the mystery here is that the resolution is really thrown onto the audience to say, well, you know, make of that what you will. Well, sometimes I actually want somebody to say, well, actually, I'm going to give you a bit of a hint here. This is what probably happened, but you can put your own spin on it. But at the end, you just get probably a bogus explanation from a fairly unlikable 
character and at the end because i it had had so much hype even before i'd seen the screener for this i was expecting something that i didn't get which isn't always a bad thing but in the case of this i didn't hate it but equally i don't quite understand the love for it either yeah i'm on the same page there and maybe it is because it is something a little bit different and it opens things up to interpretation and it's not spoon feeding the audience perhaps that's what people like about it but before we get too wound up about this movie <laughs> i'm not going to let it get to me we're going to move on to something that was way more up my street and that was see for me which played at both the physical festival and the virtual festival and I believe it came in third place in the audience vote. I think that's right, yeah. I think it did, yes. yeah. So See For Me is essentially a thriller with horror elements, but it's mainly a psychological thriller. A blind woman house-sitting at a secluded mansion finds herself under attack when thieves break in. Her only means of defence is an app called See For Me that connects her to a volunteer across the country who must do everything she can to help Sophie survive the night. This gripping home invasion film updates the classic wait until dark trope in a, an isolated disabled character defends themselves from intruders. For the modern age, with its central use of assistive technology and multi multifaceted protagonist Sophie portrayed superbly by legally blind actor Skylar Davenport. So with this movie, I think that it's not anything brand new as such. Like, it is a very much run-of-the-mill home invasion thriller, but it is because they have got a blind main character that kind of ups the tension and anxiety and suspense. And the fact that they include modern technology, which, you know, was quite... It was, you know, definitely well-crafted, and it was something a bit more refreshing and innovative to bring to this subgenre. So this film is very tense. The main character, she's very layered. Like there are moments where she can be quite unlikable. She's very stubborn and, and determined as well. So I think you ultimately do root for her. And also the girl who is, um, you know, assisting her on the app as well. Like she's great. And I, yeah, I just think this, this film was good because it is just your typical suspenseful thriller and it just keeps you on the edge of your seat in a really compelling way. So I really, really did like this film. I think it was, for, for me, it was probably one of my favourites of virtual edition. And it runs under 90 minutes, which something like this really ought to. It doesn't need to hang about. Yeah, casting Skylar Davenport was a, a good move on the part of the filmmakers actually having somebody in there who is legally blind to play a blind person yeah great move and it doesn't fall into the trap of making somebody who is disabled a complete angel you're right she is quite unlikable at some points during this movie she's not this uh, amazing perfect specimen she has flaws like everybody else and there's a point in the movie where you think, well, actually, is she the villain in this now? So it kind of plays with your perceptions about just how good she is. I think one of the problems is that when it's trying to get you to think that she might be nastier than the villains of the piece themselves, it does drag itself back towards the end because it kind of thinks, well, you know... You've got to have somebody to root for here. So they do pull it back a little bit, which I guess they couldn't really have something that's so nihilistic that everybody's so nasty in this movie that you really don't want any of them to survive. But it throws in a couple of decent twists. It's got a fair amount of tension built up. It doesn't go for the straightforward home invasion approach. It does throw in a few turns in the plot which doesn't mean that you get her sneaking about for an hour just avoiding being caught. There's a lot more depth to the plot, which is quite welcome. Because in these sort of things, you normally have somebody sneaking around for the first hour and then there's a confrontation in the last 20 minutes and then 
all the people die who are supposed to die roll credits. This doesn't do that. This does something a little bit different. But like you say, yeah, it's a standard sort of home invasion thriller, but with a few neat little twists. And it's entertaining, and it's pacey, and it's got plenty of tension in, and it's got a satisfying ending, and it's got decent characters in. So, yeah, again, it's that sort of change of pace that you need in a festival. If you're looking to watch some fairly heavy and sort of quite literate stuff like you know like the the folk horror documentary you need something like this something that's just shamelessly entertaining and is just a really good 85 minute thriller which doesn't have any pretensions than just delivering some decent entertainment couple of nasty deaths few laughs nothing wrong with that this would definitely be appreciated by a mainstream audience as well it's definitely got that accessibility going for it it is tropey in places there are um, sort of elements that you kind of think, oh, I've seen this all before. One welcome trope that wasn't included, though, the cat survived. Yeah. The cat was fine. Excellent. So I'm putting that out there. As <laughs> <laughs> soon as the cat came on, I thought, oh, they aren't going to do this to the cat, are they? Well, they don't do this to the cat, so big up to the filmmakers of see for me. They don't go down that ridiculous well-worn trope. Like, yeah, if there's a pet there, the pet has to die at some point. It doesn't here. Yeah? So, sorry for the spoiler, but it's not a massive spoiler. I mean, you want to know if the cat survives, surely. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sorry for spoiling that because I think there's a lot of people that would be the same as us, just like starting the movie and think, oh no, is that what's going to happen? And with me, this might be a weird thing, but I just get really bad anxiety thinking like, oh, the pet's going to die. It's like the pet is just there, just up the ante, and I don't like it. I hate that trope, so... The fact that this avoided that completely was just more than welcome. But yeah, See For Me is a very strong movie. As you say, it's just really entertaining. It's your kind of late night Saturday thriller. That's how I kind of saw it. And it's very well acted and it's cool how it incorporates all this modern technology into it as well. It's the sort of stuff that if I'd have gone to see it like late Friday night at a cinema, I'd have come back thinking, yeah, that was a pretty cool movie. I enjoyed that. Not everything has to be a an intellectual masterpiece this certainly isn't but for what it lacks in mind-blowing plot developments it more than makes up for in the fact that it's a really bloody good thriller absolutely so moving on we're going back into the kind of folk branch of the festival and this is a spanish film so moving away from that whole um, classic British folk horror, we've got something that, you know, has similar threads, but it's a cultural piece. And that is the UK premiere of House of Snails. So this opened up the Sunday morning of the festival. Writer Antonio decides to spend the summer in the mountains outside Malaga, where he hopes to find peace and quiet and inspiration for his next novel. Antonio soon finds out that the locals are hiding numerous secrets as well as a terrifying and dark legend. His experiences over the time he spends there will lead him to discover that sometimes reality is much stranger than fiction. So yes, this definitely has Wickerman vibes, 100% from kind of animal masks to the um, locals being really cagey. It's like the fear of the outsider, the outsider discovering something that he shouldn't. And then it's always that whole classic trope of um, I'm going out to this remote location to do some writing. We've seen that all before, particularly in Stephen King. But again, this film was very entertaining and um, it had a good pace to it. It had some really unnerving moments as well. And, it, you know, just kept, kept you guessing. And that's the kind of thing that you want. Yeah, I really liked this. I thought it looked amazing. Just a beautifully shot film. Performance is really good. As you say, really well paced. The mystery is fed to you across the piece. You get fed little bits of information as you're going along. And it's wrong-footing you quite a lot of the time as to where it's going. Yeah, just a just a great little movie, this. Yeah, the Spanish proving that they can do folk horror as well as the Brits can. It's got some nervous laughs in it. It's got some very very strange and very eerie moments as well. I thought this was a great movie. I really, really enjoyed it. And I think this was probably one of the strongest films in the virtual side of things. 
definitely would recommend it to people who like their horror a little bit less extreme because I mean there are some moments which are quite unnerving but as a rule it's not a wash with gore it's more about the mystery and it's more about the suggestion so I think anybody that's more of a casual horror fan and wants something that's a bit more challenging in terms of plot and mystery yeah go for it I think this was a great film yeah definitely um set the bar high for the Sunday portion of the festival I think this would have done well playing in the physical if it had as well yeah. it's definitely one that you know keeps you engaged throughout and um you know you're just so intrigued to see how the mystery is going to unravel throughout it it has some yes yeah, strange moments as well that make you think what's going to go on here so again it is you know accessible to a mainstream audience for sure and i think that that's what we like something that kind of is for everyone like one and not just really closed in and weird it's like world's fair wasn't it this was complete opposite really enjoyable really well acted and as you say it looked beautiful the scenery in this was amazing spain is beautiful anyway the, the sun and the sea and everything that kind of coastal vibe it had to it so i completely enjoyed this film and yeah i would definitely put it in my top of the festival yeah agreed it's also got a bit of a jello eye for characters as well because they throw characters in that on the surface are quite jovial and jolly and crack jokes and then they turn out to be extremely weird which i like so anything that's got a little bit of a jello slanting i mean it isn't a jello movie this but it's got influences in there but it's more to do with the mystery yeah absolutely terrific movie house of snails if you get the chance to catch it see it it's a really impressive piece of work and I'm going to stop banging on about it now, but it is great. I really, really love this movie. <laughs> yeah, so you should go and watch it when you can. Yeah. So next up, we <laughs> had Nico and Joe, the online edition. So there's nothing quite like seeing Nico and Joe live. No. I mean, that is going to always be my favourite way to experience Bad Film Club. But I think it's really cool that they were able to format it for the online world and make it accessible for people that couldn't attend in person so they get their bad film club fix i need to note as well that in the goodie bag that festival goers get given at the beginning of the event there was a envelope of emergency sweets to enjoy throughout this movie and you you may have needed your emergency sweets in this particular movie <laughs> And so for the physical festival, as we discussed last time, they did Frankenfish and they went for something completely contrasting for the virtual and older movie, which is titled The Mutations. And it was released in 1974, but it's also got another title, Freak Maker, yeah. which was the US title, I believe. Yes, I think that was. I think Mutations was the UK one. And it was the Mutations that I saw it on video under... <laughs> Again, bad film, I guess, by modern standards, it's a bit strange. Well, it's a, it's a lot strange. I've got a lot of affection for the mutations. I think it's just so bonkers. Yeah, it's slow. Yeah, it's stupid. But, you know, I mean, for me, mind you, if I'm saying Erotic Rights of Frankenstein isn't a bad film, I'm, I'm guessing that... The Mutations can't be a bad film either, but I guess why it was picked, because there's some very odd stuff going off in this movie. Not least of which, spoiler alert, Donald Pleasance, the Donald Pleasance, turns up in this, gets eaten by a cabbage. So yeah, you've got this kind of like B-movie vibe going for it, and I think that's what Bad Film Club is all about. It's like picking on these films that are a bit ropey, Maybe when this came out, it was, you know, quite scary. I, I don't know. But, yeah, it, it's a very strange one. It feels, in a way, like two movies slapped together. Yeah. It takes an age to get going. I mean, the opening credits was basically watching all these plants photosynthesize. It was a very, very odd beginning. And it just dragged and dragged and dragged. And then it's kind of this whole, like, freak show side thing. And... It's kind of like a little bit like the movie Freaks as well. It has basically, you know, complete homage to that in it as well. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think I would have preferred to have maybe had the live experience. I think I would have engaged a lot better with it. But yeah, it was it was a very strange choice. This movie is strange. I mean, to be fair, it has a five point three out of ten rating on IMDb, so people don't really deem it awful. Mm. And I think it probably had a lot to do with Donald Pleasance, you know, being in it because he was a very well respected actor. But he was known for just taking jobs just for the money as oh, well. Absolutely. This was probably yeah. an example of that. So, um, yeah, and obviously this one fits in more with their kind of Frankenstein theme this year as well. So I get why it was chosen. But as great as it is that they did incorporate Bad Film Club online, I just I just love the live experience. I just can't yeah get into it as well yeah i i agree i mean it's nice that you can have bad film club in the comfort of your own home but it is an audience experience so i think it takes away a little bit of the atmosphere when you do it online i mean it's a decent pick the mutations i don't think it's on the level of something that's like as thumpingly awful as the demons of ludlow which which (laughs) remains my favorite bad film club experience because the demons of ludlow is astonishingly bad and is just right for having the piss taken out of it, which they did for however long it runs. I mean, Demons of Ludlow, it's not a very long movie, but if you watch it without Bad Film Club commentary, it seems a lot longer. <laughs> but um, I have got a lot of affection for Demons of Ludlow. The fact that uh, Nico and Joe just ripped the piss out of it was even funnier, because I'd seen it. I don't think a lot of other people had at the time. And when they announced it was going to be Demons of Ludlow, I was like, I am so glad that it's this movie because the people who have not seen this before do not know what they're letting themselves in for (laughs) yeah i remember that very well um that was definitely one of the top picks you know and you just think where do they find these films (laughs) but yeah that was definitely an obscure one and there's been some great ones over the years like night train to terror and the uninvited with the cat the cat within within a cat cat. (laughs) that was absolutely fantastic so I don't think the mutations kind of falls into how bad those were. Yeah, maybe it would have been better with something a bit more terrible. Having said that, I mean, I think modern audiences will take one look at the mutations and just think, what the bloody hell is going on here? So (laughs) I can see why it got chosen. I don't think it's aged particularly well, but, you know, it's... I've got a lot of nostalgia for this, so I think I, I'm viewing it with slightly rose or cabbage-tinted spectacles. But I, I understand why it was chosen, and um, I don't think I can mount any sort of artistic defence for the mutations, because at the end of the day, it is rubbish, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> So moving on from that, we've got a film that is held in high regard on the festival circuit uh, this year. It was the secret film at Celluloid Screams. It was screened at Abattoir's physical edition and also its online edition, which is, you know, pretty cool given the calibre of this film. And I think it premiered at London Film Festival. So it's that's right, yeah. And that film is A Banquet, a British film. So A Banquet is about... Widowed mother Holly is radically tested when her teenage daughter Betsy experiences a profound enlightenment and insists that her body is no longer her own, but in service to a higher power. Bound to her newfound faith, Betsy refuses to eat but loses no weight. In an agonising dilemma torn between love and fear, Holly is forced to confront the boundaries of her own beliefs. A simmering gradual build-up and an ever-increasing sense of dread permeates every surface in this powerful psychological horror, blends themes of grief, motherhood, and growing up with a dark, multi-layered supernatural mystery. So, this film is a slow burn, but I didn't feel that it was dragging its heels too much. I mean, I know that somebody else in this uh, chat might have (laughs) felt that way. (laughs) But um, for me, I felt that it kept my attention quite well. It's an existential piece. It's a psychological piece. But I I can understand where it kind of trips over itself at the end. So I think if we're going to discuss it in a little bit of depth to explain our thoughts, if you haven't seen a banquet, you need to skip forward a bit 
yeah, go cause... watch it and come back to us because we this is a film you really have to immerse yourself in. I mean, I went in not knowing a great deal about it. I just know that it didn't land with everybody at the physical festival. I, I think it was very diverse. So I was kind of thinking, oh, what am I getting myself into? But I was intrigued enough to watch it. I think, you know, it's incredibly acted. The performances are of a high quality. It's a very emotional film. It's very powerful. I mean, there were there were moments I felt quite choked up, mm. um, particularly towards the end. But it's one I think you should go in with a bit of a trigger warning because it does deal with themes of like anorexia, which yeah. is, you know, quite harrowing to um, to watch. And mixing that up with this kind of religious angle as well, it, it, it's very disturbing. Agreed. The, the acting in this is astonishing. Got a really great cast. Performances, absolutely faultless. And I absolutely loved the first hour of this movie. I really liked the build-up. I didn't know where it was going. I liked the fact that there was subtle touches of folk horror in the background without banging you over the head with it. And then it gets to the end and it just, just flubs everything for me at the end because it's predicated on a twist which is so mind-bendingly stupid that one of the characters who is very meticulous about checking everything. It's the mother. She is very concerned about her daughter. Everything about her daughter's life she is trying to control because her daughter's spiralling into what she thinks is anorexia, but it could be that she is actually possessed by the spirit of something which is revealing the fate of the world to her. But at the end, it hinges on the fact that a pair of weighing scales has been doctored in such a way that the mother has spent six months with these weighing scales and has not noticed that they've been sabotaged. That does not fit with the character at all. It is not the twist I was expecting. And at that point, I was like, right, I'm out of the movie. Because I don't, I don't buy that. I'm out of the movie. Which was really disappointing because at that point I was loving it. And it just annoyed the shit out of me when it got to that point. And then... Because it's got that one twist where you think, oh, it's because she isn't this soothsayer and she doesn't see the fate of the world. It is all a cover for her anorexia. I kind of was dragged a little bit back in and thought, you know what? Fine, I'm going to try and go with it again now. But then, second twist. She does see the fate of the world. No, I'm sorry. You either do one or you do the other. You can't have both. This is a particularly tasteless metaphor, considering it's dealing with anorexia, but you cannot have your cake and eat it as well, a banquet. You go one way or you go the other. You don't try to satisfy both ends of the pitch. It's not like, right, we're going to do this, but we're also going to do this because we can't have one twist. We've got to have two. And that just irritated the fuck out of me this movie which is just so annoying because i loved the first two thirds of this movie and it just drove me around the fucking bend the end of this film just let it all out yeah. <laughs> that's how you really feel <laughs> yeah no i think the the second twist in particular did irk me because i didn't like that it did both because i was feeling that it was such a tragic ending yes and it really resonated with me. I was, I just found it unbelievably sad. And then, obviously, it does the higher power thing, and I was really put off. It, it just spoiled it for me. I think if they just stopped with, obviously, the mother running out onto the road, her yeah. heart breaking for what, you know, what happens. Yeah, I, I, I just think it just lost its way, and it's unfortunate because otherwise it is a very strong film, and I can see why people um, have been, you know, raving over it for sure. And again, it's not, it's again a psychological horror. It's not focused on gore. It's, it's one of those that I think it will appeal to a more general audience because it's, you yeah. know, very much a drama as well. It's a family drama. The part of the piece is about this family and the emotional turmoil that they're going through because of the teenage daughter you know refusing to eat and it is just so so sad to see the unraveling of this family unit but yeah it really just spoils itself i think which is a shame yeah yeah it's a dreadful shame because i was so on this movie side for 
an hour, 70 minutes of it, and then it it just threw it all away. And you're right, if it had got to the point where she's running out into the street after what's just happened and she's broken, and, you know, you get a really emotional thump from the end of that movie. If If the movie ends there, if you've got past the twist and the movie ends there, that is a great ending to a movie. But they have to throw in this otherworldly thing, this supernatural element at the end, just to sort of say, oh, you remember we were talking about the supernatural element? Well, here it is. Now, they could have left that out. They could have they could have used the supernatural element as a red herring. It would have been absolutely fine if all of that was just in the girl's head. But no, it's like, right, we set all this up in the first act, so we're going to pay off with this in the last act by doing this. No, no, it doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. And... It's so frustrating that a movie can be so good for 75% of its running time and then just completely balls it. I'm sure that some people will not get as irate. Well, I mean, I think 99% of the population won't be getting as irate as I am about the end of this movie right now. It's just such a shame that they could have they could have written in a different twist to that. It was... Uh, uh, it's so annoying. It's so annoying. I, I genuinely want to love this movie and I can't because of that bloody ending. I think I'd like it is if they could go back like they did with Synchronic and then rework the ending. Yeah. I think that would be better. If they... I mean, it depends on what the general kind of audience feedback has been for it. I'd be very curious because, again, it's just doing two things and it shouldn't. It needs to focus on this tragedy of this family. It, and as you say, that's more of the gut punch because you're just like, oh my God, the entire time she was kind of pandering to her daughter and letting this happen unintentionally. And that is just unbelievably tragic. And that's where it should have been left. Yeah. Not bringing in this whole supernatural element. I think I liked the whole thing, as you say, the red herring element of the supernatural. That was good. And it would have been perfect. And that would have just made it a much stronger film. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think uh, it's just I just want to I want to love a banquet so much and I just can't, which which just irks me <laughs> completely. I think the best thing to do if you do watch it again, just pause it before that bit yeah, and skip, then skip in your over. mind it'll end <laughs> in the right place. I think that that's it all we can do for now, that's the resolution. Yeah. <laughs> Well, to close, something that, well, I mean, anything could have annoyed me less. They could have put anything on. They could have all, no, I was going to say they could have put Strange Colour of Your Body's Tears on. No, that would have annoyed me more, I have to say. We're going to go for the last movie now, which is kind of an X-Files-y thriller. It's got kind of a uh, native North American slant to it as well, which is quite interesting. It's Don't Say Its Name. Shortly after carrot spread water, a native anti-mining activist is killed in a mysterious hit-and-run. Horrific, seemingly random murders start occurring in snowfields of Karras' isolated reserve. As a local tribe of police officer and her colleague tries to connect the dots and find the connection, they confront a world of ancient native myths now very much alive in this small, insulated world. Made by and telling tales of Kanye's Indigenous people, this is a classic supernatural mystery film with a definitive X-Files vibe. Yeah, X-Filesy, as I said previously. So I guess that there are some things about this movie that are a little bit clunky and don't work. But overall, quite enjoyed this. Quite a good little monster movie at the heart of it all. Definitely. I mean, I wasn't blown away by this film in the slightest. It was, again... You know, the X-Files comparison is very much there. And I also thought um, the TV show Supernatural as well, which was, of course, influenced by the X-Files. So it, it definitely felt like an extended episode of one of those TV shows. There was nothing, like, new brought to the table, but it was, you know, a decent little mystery. I think it did drag a little bit, which is a shame because, you know, 84 minutes is not a long runtime, mm. but whether it was festival fatigue and that I should go back to this at a later stage and try and appreciate it more, who knows. But um, yeah, it was a good film. It's no, nothing groundbreaking, but it's, it's definitely worth the watch. Yeah, absolutely. And it 
takes its time explaining the indigenous legends as well and it explains them properly i read something online very interesting to, to say that antlers which takes a similar legend but really threw away all the indigenous background to it and just kind of gave you a monster with no real background or or story to it at all at least this takes the time to explain why the monster is there and what it's doing and what you need to do to defeat it so there's a through line on that so at least it has that explanation some of the dialogue is a bit on the nose there's a guy in there who is quite obviously set up to be a very 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 bad guy and lots of things that he does are particularly reprehensible and at the end he gets a particularly nasty comeuppance i think that was a bit cartoony but rest of the movie had a pretty good time with it quite enjoyable strong female leads at least you got women driving the action which is a good thing so yeah i, I thought it was pretty cool it's not gonna blow you away but as a as a festival closer could have been far worse definitely and um, i think that's really interesting i haven't seen the movie anthers yet but it is uh, on my radar and i think this obviously brings more authenticity to it than obviously that film does and I think that that's a you know really like positive point that I think um that's probably why this fits more with the abattoir vibe because abattoir always searching for projects that are you know something a bit different and um include representation and that's really important we've had such like a diverse selection from all over the world and I and I think that it is important to have representation and there's no wonder that they put this one in the schedule yeah absolutely so with that we had the closing ceremony and then we it was all over once again another year's passed another abattoir is over what are your reflections on this year's offerings so i felt that most of it was a very strong lineup there wasn't a lot that i disliked from what i saw i think it was stronger in the physical side than the virtual, which is understandable because certain high-profile movies won't be able to be distributed online yeah. at this time, yeah. is understandable. Yeah. So I think for me, um, Sensor being the winning film, completely deserved. Very exciting, especially as the director is based in Aberystwyth. So I was really pleased for that. You know, as online goes, really enjoyed as we talked about House of Snails and Sea for me. That those were great. Keeping company again, that was a fun one. In the physical side, Blade, I really loved that as well. I think Blade was one of my top films, and I haven't really heard many people talk about it in the festival setting as much as I was hoping to. Um, and then, of course, when I consume you as well, that was another highlight for me. Uh, how about yourself? I mean, I think we're pretty much aligned here. Yeah, Gulas was really good when i consume you obviously i went on about it at length in the last episode so i'm gonna calm myself down this time uh, beyond the infinite two minutes was great absolutely loved that and as usual there's lots and lots of really good old movies sprinkled in as well so you got curse of frankenstein curse of frankenstein is an amazing movie more people should see it. I mean, they're going to look at it and go, oh, it's a 1957 movie, it's going to be creaky and it's going to be rubbish. No, it's not. It's not It's not creaky, it's not rubbish. It's amazing. Go see Curse Frankenstein. And of course, you got the Blood for Dracula, Flesh for Frankenstein double bill, which was outrageous in all senses of the word. I love Flesh for Frankenstein and getting to see it in 3D was a big deal because I've only ever seen it flat and being able to sit there with the 3D glasses on and having Udo Kier's gallbladder getting poked out at me in glorious Technicolor. Yeah, that's going to be a lasting memory for me. Obviously, Sensor, love Sensor as a movie. So glad it won. I'm going to be watching it again as soon as I possibly can. I'm sure it's going to be on disc soon. So I'm going to be buying the Blu-ray of it whenever it's out. As usual, really strong festival. Over too soon. As always, even though you think, oh, six days and then a virtual festival, that's, that's ages. No, it does it does fly by. So I'm just looking forward to 2022. Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see what films that we have to look forward to then. So with festival season over, what's next for us? Well, of course, it's Christmas. <laughs> so on the <laughs> other side of this, we'll be revealing what we're going to cover in the next episode. 
And that's it for episode 45 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed listening to us, please follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. We always love to hear your thoughts on the movies we discuss and get some discussion going there. As previously stated, just on the other side of that bumper, it is Christmas. And we are going to be covering some Christmas movies in the run-up to the festive season. We're going to be taking on a diverse selection of movies. Not that they might be any good. We have got one acknowledged classic in there, definitely, but we're not going to reveal what that is right now. Next time, maybe it's not going to fall into the realms of Christmas classic. We have had this suggested to us from various different sources. We are going to be watching the movie Christmas Land. Yeah, so it's a return to the Hallmark-esque movies. It's been a while, so I think our brains are probably ready for it now. Not so, no, it's not so sure after the movie how we're going to feel, but it's time for some sickly sweet Christmas movies. But don't worry, as we say on this podcast, it's any movie, any genre, any quality. So if you don't like Hallmark stuff, don't worry. We've got you. We've got other movies coming your way as well. Yeah, tis the season. So, until then, stay safe, everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. The HD Movie Podcast theme is written and performed by Mitch Bain. The Abattoir 2021 theme is by Delamorte. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean and other podcast providers.